Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about TV writing fellowships. And to do that, we've invited three awesome fellows of the various programs to discuss their experiences. So today we have Andy Matheson from the 2016 ABC Disney Writing Program. Hey. Jenny Diker Restivo from the 2018 Fox Writers Lab. Hey, y'all. And Thomas Reyes from the 2016 Warner Brothers Writers Workshop. Hello. All right, let's get started. First up, just tell us who you are and a little bit about yourself and how you kind of got here to LA in the industry. My name's Andy. So for our listeners' sake, yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, used to work in unscripted, uh, aka reality TV production in New York for almost a decade and uh, moved out here, you know, because I wasn't getting work as a writer or I got one job as a writer, but nothing monumental. So I asked around and people said to make it, you really got to come out to LA. So I moved out here a few years ago and uh, hustled and eventually got into the ABC Disney writing program. Uh, Hey, I'm Jenny Dykeristivo. I too come from reality television, but here in LA. And uh, a couple years ago, uh, three years ago now, I kind of decided I needed to hunker down and do what I really wanted to do, which is write TV dramas. So I wrote a bunch of scripts. Some were good, some were bad, some were real bad. And then, yeah, applied to the Fox Writers Lab, and I'm in that right now. So I'm also from reality TV. <laughs> this is, what? Ooh, this is a running theme. Uh, We're going to switch the topic now. It's going to be, <laughs> yeah. be a reality TV podcast. Um, I grew up in LA. I'm from around here. And then I knew I wanted to do TV, but I didn't know anybody in the biz. So I happened to find like a researcher job at a production company. We did clip shows. That was the thing. So a lot of YouTubing. And at night, I would take like extension classes and applied year after year. And eventually got in uh, in 2016. Let's get into the topic at hand. How did you decide which fellowships to apply to? Did you apply to everything across the board or ones more suited to certain specs or material that you had? Fox Writers Lab appealed to me because it was pilot-based rather than specs of current programs. I I had written specs of current programs, but they were stale. They were a few years old, so they weren't really ripe to apply to those fellowships. Uh, So I sent a pilot into Fox Writers Lab. Uh, I applied to all the main ones, the, the the big ones that I'd heard of. Also, I was like pretty new to this whole game and hadn't even heard about the fellowships back in New York. But when I got out here and started meeting writers and other aspiring writers, learned about them. So yeah, I applied to the ones that these uh, guys have also gone into and, and uh, a couple others and got into ABC Disney. I also applied to all of them. <laughs> Shotgun approach. Yeah. Uh, I think you have to give yourself the best shot. Yeah. Um, even there's like, you know, specifically comedy ones like Nickelodeon. But yeah, that they're all like, you know, they have different requirements. So mm-hmm. you have to have specs and pilots. Mm-hmm. So yeah, every year, just mm-hmm. the essays and everything. Yeah. Just, yeah. just write them all. Had you guys previously had any luck getting through to further rounds of the other fellowships before you made it? Or was it just kind of like you're in? Um, I got to the second round of um, Sundance. That's the only other one that I applied to. And I was super, super bummed out. <laughs> but then soon after got the news about Fox Labs. So I was like, yay, redeemed. I got into the second round of ABC Disney one year. That was the closest I had gotten. And not to piss anyone off, but I got in on my first year of applying to the... Uh, Disney, but just Disney. I didn't. I wasn't a finalist or semi-finalist in any of the other programs. So lucked, I have really lucked out. Yeah, there you go. It just goes to show that doesn't necessarily mean anything if you don't get in mm-hmm. first year or, or that kind of thing or don't get in any of the other ones you can still make it you can be like andy and just get in the first round yeah. <laughs> yeah. bastard so you already mentioned this but can you walk us through sort of did you have to write a, a spec or a pilot what format was it in for abc disney I bl- and i think this is still true 
uh, you have to submit both a spec and an original pilot. And um, I did both half hours because I was applying. I think you also have to declare if you're going comedy or drama. Although, who knows these days? I mean, the lines are blurring with dramedies and everything out there. But that, that's what I did. Yeah, we just, uh, I think the first round we just applied with the first, it was either seven or 10 pages of our pilot. And then a series of essays, statement of, I think it was called a statement of intent, which was sort of your personal essay. Mm -hmm. They actually interestingly had you pitch three other ideas for pilots uh, in the application process. Not verbally, but you, you wrote like a little log line pitch for a few different things. And I think, and second round was you sent your whole pilot and then they read the whole thing. And then third round was uh, like a Skype interview with, with some of the executives. For Warner Brothers, it's uh, first round is a spec. So I submitted a half hour spec. And then after you make it past to the next level, you submit like an original. So I submitted a pilot, but I think a feature or play also works. So Andy and Thomas, what did you decide to spec and why? What was your kind of process for writing that? I just submitted my strongest sample, what I thought was my str strongest uh, spec sample. My spec uh, was a Goldberg's episode. And of the specs I'd written at that point, it was what I thought was the funniest and the, the one that fit the tone of the show the most. So, you know, you always want to, you know, strongest foot forward. And yeah, that was that was the, the logic behind that. I didn't do it because it was an ABC show. And, and I don't know what the requirements are now, but I don't think they say, you know, it has to be an ABC show. I think they're like any show currently on network television is acceptable. But and they they specify network because that's what they're gearing it towards. I wrote a Silicon Valley spec. Uh, I just really loved the show. I was really into it at the time. I was watching it every week. So I had the voices in my head and it was, I think it hadn't finished yet. So it was a good time to spec it. Like after it ends, you, you're like, okay, I can figure out where they're going or I can anticipate where they're going without having to worry about, oh, it's going to be obsolete soon. Mm -hmm. So I uh, wrote one and uh, it didn't take too long, like maybe like a couple months or so. And then I submitted it. So in general, what are your thoughts on writing a spec versus a pilot, especially now where we live in a world where most showrunners and, and agents and, and representatives are mostly looking for original material and samples like pilots over specs? Do you think time is better spent writing a pilot or a spec or what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it seems like my program doesn't do specs, but I still think they're extremely valuable to learn to write in somebody else's voice is, is pretty important. I do think, though, that, you know, to get represented to get staffed most people are looking for a pilot sample so it, it is good to have both of them uh, I think at this point my specs of current shows are too old to s send out to anybody and I've never been asked for one so I'm just kind of like hoping that the pilots are doing it for me at this point yeah it's it's a weird trend in the industry now where everyone wants original pilots because once you get hired for a show once you get staffed you're writing specs. You're writing someone else's show, you know, the showrunner's show. And so that's, I, I would say it, there's no wasted time if you learn how to write specs because that's what the job is until you get your own show. And unless you somehow win some crazy lottery, you're not going to get your own show right out the gates. So it's a valuable skill to hone. I think it, it's not wasted time if you do write specs. But yeah, as far as getting representation and getting into one of these programs or anything like that, it's probably better to focus more on the original ones. But piggybacking on what Thomas said, if you hear the voices in your head, like if you're like, I'm watching Silicon Valley, like I've got those voices mm -hmm. down, I can do that, you know, follow your inspiration and write a Silicon Valley spec. Even if you're like, I should be working on an original pilot, but follow your inspiration and write whatever's at the top of your... Yeah, and then 
I have heard of some showrunners who are maybe more old school and they do read specs or they want specs mm -hmm. specifically because it does show that you can write act breaks, you can mm -hmm. capture the voice of something, and it is the job. So it's useful yeah. in that you can apply to all the fellowships, but also if you happen to have an opportunity with a showrunner that wants a spec, mm -hmm. then you have it ready. So it's good to have both. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and specifically just to apply to these fellowships mm -hmm. because the fellowships are so... I mean, I, I'm, I, I think they're so valuable uh, mm -hmm. because tons of people have gotten their first staffing gigs off mm -hmm. of them. So if for no other reason, mm -hmm. just to apply to all of the different mm -hmm. fellowships, absolutely write a spec. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of the original pilots you guys wrote to get into the program, was it something that you were working on just to submit for this? Is it something you already had laying around? And what was your process in deciding what was the best pilot to, to put in? It was the same thing for me as, as the, the Goldberg spec, which was it was my strongest original pilot. I didn't have many at that point, but I, I was basically, you know, working in uh, reality TV and, and a lot of that stuff and then going home and writing in my free time because my real passion was writing. So, you know, I was producing in, in most of my reality TV jobs. So it was a lot better for my sanity to go home and have control over something to, to write my own thing. And so I had banked a few scripts. And then by the time I was uh, applying to these programs, I just kind of polished up what I thought were the strongest ones. And also I'm workshopping them in, um, in, in, uh, writers groups. So I don't want to also, you know, take a hundred percent credit, like for what ended up being my submissions. It's just like with the writer's room, you know, it's a group effort and I really value the input that my close friends had, the ones who gave me good feedback on my scripts. Uh, it was my only pilot. So that was, my process. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was the reasoning behind sending that one. Uh, I had written up like several specs, so I had that down, but, this was, you know, the pilot that I had been, you know, I wrote in a UCLA extension class and I felt good about it, but it was definitely like, oh, this is my first one and I'm going to send it because it's personal and it comes from a real place and I think they would dig it. they get a sense of who I am. So it was also your best. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it was yeah. also your best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine was, uh, I had a few pilots. Um, I tend to write kind of like dark, creepy genre stuff. So I kind of picked the least wackadoo of my samples <laughs> because Fox is a network, you know, it's a, ne it's a network program. So I picked a murder mystery uh, that I'd written and, but I had, I had written it probably about a year and a half prior. So I kind of dusted it off. I did a little bit of work on it and then sent it in. Let's talk about the selection process to get into the fellowships. Can you break down not only the kind of material that you're submitting, uh, not just scripts, but also personal essays and, and interviews and, and so forth, but also the different rounds uh, until you get that final call saying that you're in the program? Again, I don't know what it is now. A lot has changed in two years. You know, there's been some turnover at who runs the ABC Disney program because the people who ran or two of the higher level people who ran the program left and went to NBC Universal feature side. So, you know, some things have shifted. Also, I think the requirements have changed slightly where originally you submit a pilot and a spec and also a essay. And it could be an essay about anything. And I think the year after me, the requirement was it's a personal essay. So it has to be something specific to you. And then, you know, and every year they're kind of tweaking some of these requirements just a little bit. So, you know, you just got to pay attention and ideally check out the submission requirements a few months before it's due. Don't just procrastinate and wait till the very end to be like, oh crap, I've got to write a whole thing that I wasn't prepared for. Fox also had um, sort of new people in charge this past year. So the program changed a little bit. It used to be that they would submit a pilot. And then if you got in during the program, you were writing an entirely new pilot from start to finish. So basically you ended the program with like a, a first a good first draft. So they decided that because what was happening was since they were kind of first drafts, it was 
it was hard to go present those to executives as the person's like best sample. So they now uh, changed it so that this year we submitted with a script. And if we got in, we now completely reworked the script. Mm -hmm. So all of us have started from breaking it way back down to the character and everything. Um, but submission was the pilot, personal essay. We needed two letters of recommendation, preferably from industry people in some world of scripted executives or showrunners or things like that. Oh, and then pitches. Like I said, yeah, a couple pitches. I think Warner Brothers, even though the person who ran it when I was there left, it's pretty much the same. It's a spec and then statement of interest, I believe. It's like, you know, similar to letter of interest or like just a personal essay. And then no recommendations. I think you just send those pieces of material in. And then in the second round, they ask for like an original. And then they bring in for the interview if they whittle it down to whoever they want to bring in. So speaking of those personal essays, what kind of stuff did you, I don't know if it's, maybe it's personal, but uh, what did you so kind of personal. put in there and, what, and how did you angle that, I guess, to make them want to respond to you? So the year I, I submitted, it wasn't a personal essay. So I, don't, I forget what I wrote about, to be honest, um, but it was, it was just like an original story or idea or so, some other kind of essay. I honestly, I, I really do forget what I wrote about. I, ours was a, a personal, I think, I can't remember if it was called personal essay or if it was called statement of interest, but you know, same diff. I wrote about the sort of the reason that I love genre and being like a female genre writer and how, you know, growing up, I loved genre. I was all into that, but there weren't a whole lot of like female protagonists in those stories. We were always just girlfriends and stuff. And that I want basically wanted to write for chicks like me that really love monsters and like genre, but don't didn't see in their childhood all that female driven uh, shows. We're, we're getting them. We're getting them. But that's what I wrote about. I tried to be a little weird because I, <laughs> I had written, you know, I applied like maybe three or four years and I had written like the college essay type thing, mm -hmm. you know, and it didn't feel like natural. So, and I read, or I went to a panel and I heard somebody say, oh, you should just make, make your personal essay into a story. Mm -hmm. And so I told the story about like, you know, I moved around a lot mm -hmm. and I had trouble making friends. And when I was living in Las Vegas, I like, I made up something. Like I read something in the paper that uh, in the Philippines, this Virgin Mary statue was like, her eyes were like bleeding. Like, <laughs> but obviously this was a hoax and people were like yeah. freaking out. And I told this to somebody and said, oh, my God, this is like you have guys that have the same last name, this you know, like Virgin Mary lady and you. And he started freaking out and got like really weirded. And but he, we became friends. We started hanging out. And that's how I learned to be a storyteller, by, like lying. Uh, it was a different way to go about it. But I kind of like, oh, I wrapped it up at the end. Like, this is why I want to write comedy. You know, so, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And so it was like a little different. But I hope that it helped me and not hindered me. I, I think it's important that you get. Because I, I think like when I applied to the first to, to Sundance Fellowship, I think I did a very like robotic college essay kind of thing. And I think that's a mistake. Like when I did Fox Lab, I, I just kind of I went way more casual with it. And I just said, you know, I can't there's a mind worm in my head right now. And it's this short story I read and it's amazing and it's genre and it's awesome. And I want to do stuff like that. So and I, I kind of didn't overthink it. I just kind of like let it flow. And that I think that's probably like like you the better the better they get to see your voice yeah. they get yeah. to see who you are besides the resume type stuff yeah 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 definitely i think it only behooves you to let your freak flag fly yeah. you know you gotta stand out from the, <laughs> stand out from the, the yeah, yeah yeah and speaking of being personable can you speak to that interview process when you're brought in at later stages what kind of questions are you asked uh, what are they looking for at that point so again with mine you know the the person who called me is no longer there so i don't know what the uh, how they would do it now but 
first, you know, when I, when I applied and got into the program, the first phase was a phone interview, like a brief phone interview. It was probably 20 minutes, half an hour. And then the semifinalist rounds, you know, there, you go in and there was like a speed dating type round where you're, you meet like the people who run the program and you have like, like, I think it was even like three minutes with each of them. So it really flies by, but it really is trying to like make a good first impression and open up about yourself and what you like to write and, and why, you know, you think you'd be an asset to a writer's room and all that kind of stuff. And you've got to get it done in three minutes, you know, so there's not much time for uh, BS. Then there was a round where it's like a, a mixer. I, don't, I think they phased this out or changed it somehow. I'm not sure. But there's like a mixer level where you're meeting network execs and other execs from the various branches of, of the company. And for Disney, you know, they've got a lot of branches, you know, they, and I remember when I was there, they had people from Marvel and Lucasfilm and, and, uh, a couple of the other brand, you know, uh, Disney channel. And and of course, ABC and freeform, I think it was, oh yeah, it was just called freeform then. Cause it was called uh, ABC family before that, but you know, you're just kind of mixing and mingling. And I thought it was like a fun event. I, <laughs> I loved it. I'm, I'm like a happy dog. I just love to meet people. I was just like, you know, wagging my tail and running around. And then later I found, you know, that found out that they, uh, all the execs and stuff had like a printout of all the, the semi-finalists or finalists and they kind of like mark who they liked and what they talked about. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm glad I found that out later because that sounds pretty stressful. If I was like, I'm being graded on my That's personality. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and then there was another phase where uh, you, this was, I think, actually the highest pressure part, which was you had to pitch an episode. I, I think it was a pitch uh, an, an idea for an episode of an existing show. And I, I'm not sure if it was an existing ABC show. I think, I think they said some show on one of the ABC networks. And um, I pitched a fresh off the boat uh, idea. And you, you have five minutes for this phase. Kind of the sooner you pitch it, the better, because then they're going to ask you questions. So you want to be concise and get to the meat of it and uh, move on. But that was pretty intense because you're in front of a group of people whom, you know, most of whom you've never met and you've got to pitch them and sell them on this idea. So that was pretty uh, stressful, but. Fox was, it was just a, it was a Skype interview. Um, and I think, so there are eight of us in the program. I mm. believe they interviewed something like, like 15 or 20 people. And we had to dial in at a certain point. It was very hilarious because a bunch of us had the same problem, which is like, it wouldn't connect. The link didn't connect. <laughs> so we were like, oh my God. So I had tried two different computers, didn't work. Finally just had to like hold my iPhone <laughs> selfie style for this, for this whole interview. But uh, yeah. And so it was, it was the director of the inclusion program and uh, sort of her junior executive uh, asking us questions. And I was not prepared for that. Um, I'm glad that I just <laughs> thought of things to say in the moment because uh, I sort of had no no way to know what to expect for that. So, yeah. For Warner Brothers, they I think they brought in 30 people for that round, the interview round, and they uh, make you go to Warner Brothers lot. I, of course, got lost. So uh, I was wandering around for 20 minutes, like in a quick, fast walk, which was good because it got the blood flowing and they were running behind. So I was lucky. I wasn't like late. But then you go into the room and it's uh, the exec who runs the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop. Uh, and then another exec who you find out later is going to be your executive mentor. And they're just asking you questions about like, you know, what's, you know, what, who are you, where'd you come from, that kind of stuff. And I, and I had asked around and I was like, how do I go into this? And they said, well, just go into it like a staffing meeting. Like, mm-hmm. you know, be personable, be cool, like almost overshare a little mm-hmm. bit so they get a sense of you. So I was very much, you know, 
telling them what I like to write and, you know, what shows that I enjoy. And I try to make them laugh because it's comedy. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that's important to make them laugh. So when I, they asked me what I watch, I told them Wheel of Fortune, which made them laugh. Because <laughs> uh, I was really into Wheel of Fortune at the time. I was, like, obsessively watching it. Uh, and that became, like, a whole thing where you talked about Wheel of Fortune for, like, 10 minutes. So I think anything to make it not businessy is mm-hmm. good. Uh, but you you have no idea who else is going in there. Yeah. So you can't really control that. And then after that, I was like, whatever happens, happens. I, I did my best. But it's, it's nerve-wracking. It's very, yeah. very intense. Yeah, do whatever you can to, to chill out a little bit yeah. going in. Um, quaaludes. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> this is family friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. No. Power walking. Come on. Power walking. Listen to your pump up jams. Yeah. Your, your jock jams, 94. Jock jams. Whatever, whatever gets you in the zone. <laughs> uh, so reflecting on it, why do you think you were selected and what made you stand out as an applicant? Uh, I know exactly why I was selected, I think, or I have a theory. Because during said messy video interview in which I was holding my, my cell phone, uh, they asked, um, so why Fox? And I sort of wasn't prepared for that question, but I, I did say, you know, I don't know, I feel like there's I have kismet with Fox because my favorite show ever is X-Files, you know, um, and also my freaking cats are named Mulder and Scully. <laughs> and pretty much on cue, my cat Scully, like, got into the shot and, like, like <laughs> rubbed against my face and stuff, and I had to kind of shove her away. So I really think I got in because of my cat. <laughs> That's pretty much it. And they were like, "Where's Fox? Yeah, <laughs> like, where's ah, Mulder? Mulder, yeah, where's Mulder? Uh, I don't know. He's in the wind. He's on the roof looking for UFOs. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know why they picked me. I think they. I mean, my pilot was a sitcom about immigration, which I think you know it's. A heavy topic, and I tried to tackle it in a sitcommy way. So maybe that made me stand out because I was trying to do like kind of serious, more zeitgeisty topics in a comedy format. Uh, but I, I, mean, I think it was just the wheel of fortune. I think that really put, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pushed me over the edge. I'm curious now about the wheel of fortune. Were you like trying to figure out like how to spin the wheel to <laughs> never land on bankrupt or to get the vacation? There was it just like. I mean, I wasn't on the show. Someday I'll be on the show. Right, right, right. But in my head, uh, I was, that was just, you know, it's like, that was my... It's playing game. hangman. So you're like, oh, this yeah, is fun. I it can, is. And, and yeah. me, I just like the people who go on it because they're so weird yeah. and quirky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so excited. This That's is like the highlight sure. of the week. The Warner yeah. Brothers execs should have made like a Wheel of Fortune for you. And so <laughs> like, one of them says yeah. fellowship and the rest <laughs> is like, yeah. black... Blacklisted from Hollywood. Now you owe me thousand dollars. He hits the yeah, the blacklist, and it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry. But speaking to that serious part of it, I think um, the the one commonality in all eight of us that that did that got into the lab is that our samples were very personal. Yeah. So they were either from not not necessarily. A, a to be lived experience, but something inspired by lived mm-hmm. experience, inspired by background, or um, just something deeply, deeply felt. Mm-hmm. And and I think it is a combination of factors. You know, like I, I I honestly have no idea what it was that you know got me in or pushed me over the top. But I think it's a combination of things. So the you know the fact that you're a semifinalist or a finalist shows that you have the writing chops or that you know, on the page, you're good. But then all the the stages after that, you know, whether it's a Skype call or, or in-person interviews or mixers, it's about being a person and being someone that people want to spend time with. Because if you're in a writer's room, you got to be in the same room with someone for hours on end. And if you're, you know, obnoxious or unlikable <laughs> or just super, you know, 
awkward to the point of like not contributing and, and people being weirded out by you, then they're not going to want you in there. But also, yeah, like what Thomas said, got to be a good uh, storyteller. You know, that's what we do. That's what the job is. So to that early point of personal experiences, what do you think diversity means in those respective programs? Well, for Warner Brothers, it's actually not a diversity workshop. It's, uh, you know, whoever they feel is the best writer and who is like, you know, going to be ready for the next level of getting staffed. So I think it's just a diversity in terms of voice and in terms of, you know, maybe gender or like life experience. There was people in my program who were professors, were lawyers, they had all these stories they could draw from. So I think that's where they, you know, think of in diversity for the Warner Brothers program. Yeah. And, and in the ABC program, I think they've also, they, they don't call it a diversity program. And I think they kind of shy away from that term because it is so limiting or has, has certain connotations. Furthermore, you know, there have been white guys who got in the program. So, you know, fear not straight white men who want to be writers. Like, there is a place for you. Um, but I think uh, there's there's a place for you in this world. Um, I think that they, they, they honestly do want diverse voices. So if you have, you know, unique experiences or a unique voice, something they haven't seen or heard before, or something that, that really is a new voice that will really add value to a room and to, you know, the entertainment landscape in general, that's what they want. Yeah, I think a lot of the programs are moving away from using the word diversity just because mm-hmm. they don't they don't want it to seem sort of ironically exclusionary of anybody mm-hmm. or something. I'm a white chick. I don't, you mm-hmm. can't tell that it's a podcast, but I'm a white chick. But uh, the diversity of voices thing, I think, is super important. One of the things I think they did well in picking the eight of us is that none of us really, really would be perfect for the same staffing scenario like we're all very like you would put us in different staffing rooms if we all had like who who should she be what show would she ideally be suited for we're all a little bit different even though there are a bunch of us that are drama writers a bunch of us are comedy writers i don't think you would ever look at us as similar voices yeah that's great diversity within the program yeah yeah Yeah. do you have any advice for people who are maybe applying for the fellowships this year any little tidbits of wisdom you could give yeah start uh withdrawing hundred dollar bills from your atm early <laughs> so you get a nice stack going for future bribes um, you know because you have a usually you have a limit with your atm withdrawals. So. <laughs> the spec is very important like if you're having to write a spec and make sure that it's good and gets you past the first round like it has to be better than 98 percent of whatever it's being submitted then worry about the interview mm-hmm. and the personal essay or whatever, like that's when that becomes important. But just focus on the initial sample because it has to be like the funniest it can be or like the best drama spec you can ever write. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really good advice. I think like uh, you were talking about taking classes at UCLA Extension. Mm-hmm. I, I also did that. And I think those programs are great for a few reasons. I mean, A, you get to work on your writing. But B, I think part of TV writing is socializing. Mm-hmm. And being able to be in a room and talk to people about their ideas and your ideas and take notes well, you know, don't don't be defensive <laughs> when you get notes. Um, no, showrunner, yeah, you're no, wrong. You are absolutely <laughs> wrong. My idea is perfect. Yeah, yeah. But just that whole that aspect of learning how to go out and talk to people, I think, is is really mm-hmm. important for all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Like you should be approaching the entertainment industry from many sides and trying to get in any way you can going to mixers, meeting people, getting creative, going to, you know, posting a web series online or, a, you know, a YouTube channel or whatever, like be creative, do all this stuff. This should only be one of many things that you're, you're doing. If you're putting all your eggs in one basket, you know, it's, 
it's a big risk. And also, I would say your chances of getting in are probably lower because you don't have a well-rounded life and experiences. Mm -hmm. If you're just sitting alone in your apartment, you know, writing, you know, you really got to do other stuff just to be more of a well-rounded individual. Um, but also, you know, you don't know what it is that you do that's going to be your big break. Even when I first moved to LA, I was I took all kinds of crazy, weird production jobs, anything I could find because I didn't know many people. So my goal when I got to LA was to hit the ground running and, and network and socialize. That's how I always got jobs in uh, unscripted in, yeah. in the past is just through people I knew. So, you know, you can submit, you know, cold to uh, jobs online and, and never hear back. And you have no idea why, but a lot of times it is who you know. So, you know, go out there, socialize, meet people. And then talk to them, find it. I mean, that's how I found out about the programs. And then also how I met a bunch of people and how I got some jobs that, you know, kept the lights on until I got my big break. All right, let's talk about the programs themselves. And can you walk us through what your respective program is like, both in terms of format, time, commitment, as well as maybe some of the content that you are taught, if you're allowed to speak to the secrets of it? Yeah, not not to start a gang turf war here, but... I personally think the ABC Disney program is the best part. No, Fox wins. Fox. <laughs> Arm wrestle right now. No, um, I mean, they're all different in their own ways. I think the, the the huge benefit that the ABC program has, and I don't know where the other programs stand at this point, but the ABC Disney program is a one-year program. You know, you mm -hmm. start February 1st and it ends February 1st of the following year. And it's paid. It's a salaried program. You're paid to be a program writer. So that's huge. But and, and of course, you know, the, the, it requires a bigger commitment. So the, the various programs do have different levels of commitment. Some it's like a once a week night class or something. Some it's, it, you know, they, they all vary. So, you know, you should do your research there, uh, you know, when you're applying. But yeah, it's, so the short answer, I guess, is ABC Disney is like a year long paid program. Um, Fox is either two or three nights a week. It's usually supposed to be like seven to ten, but we go longer for sure. And then we uh, we do volunteering with a program called Young Storytellers once a week. So we, we're coaching little 10-year-olds to like write their five-page scripts and stuff. Unlike ABC, because it's not a year long. And it's four months. It is a big time commitment. I think people do, you have to think about, because it is not a paid uh, job, that it's kind of hard to hold down a day, day job at the same time. The program was designed so that you could do that. But it, the reality, I think, is that you probably want to be a little bit more flexible. We have someone who's a writer's PA um, on Grey's Anatomy. And thankfully, her bosses are just really understanding about her leaving early enough to get to the Fox lot on time, etc. So um, it is a big time commitment. Warner Brothers is uh, also unpaid. And it's once a week, 7 to 10 on Wednesdays, I believe. Uh, I don't know if they changed that up. But yeah, each week, it's like somebody comes in like an exec or maybe, uh, you know, a an author or something to explain different aspects of the TV business or pilot writing or being in a room. Uh, and it's last from October to staffing season. So maybe about like six months. And uh, in that time you are uh, writing a spec, another spec. And then after that is finished, you write a pilot for staffing and you write it with uh, the other people in your program, giving notes and also executives who are like running the program and also your executive mentor that you get paired up with. So it's very intense because you're writing two samples within those six months and then they try to put you on a, like either a Warner Brothers show or, you know, whatever is there that is staffing and looking for WB workshoppers. 
Oh yeah, we have an executive mentor too. And that's a, that's a really cool part of the program. My executive mentor is one of the executives that handles short series at FX. So we have, because Fox and FX obviously are married and it's really cool to be able to go in and have just like a personal connection with one of the executives where it says, we know all the executives talk. So hopefully, you know, if your executive likes you, she's going to talk to her friends and it's all a big happy family. Yeah, I forgot to mention that too. Um, yeah, in the ABC Disney program, they do pair you with a mentor. When I was in the program, it was two mentors. It was a writing mentor and a, or I think they call it creative mentor, but it was it was someone who's either currently or has is frequently staffed on uh, shows, usually at ABC or, or somewhere else, but someone they know and have a, have a good working relationship with. And then also an executive mentor. Now, I think because for whatever reason, They've honed it down to just one mentor, and I think it's an executive mentor. Maybe it's because when people are staffed, they just don't have time, as much time you know, to, to mentor you and to, to help out. But I think these days it's just one mentor. I don't know what they call it if it is an executive mentor or if they are all executives or some are creatives. But yeah, so you're paired with some mentor. And then while you're in the program, there are many you know, steps, many phases of things you do. You learn about you know, the industry. You learn about what it takes to get in a room, to make it in a room. And you meet with people and they, they'll give you tips and help you out. I mean, I guess mentor is also a funny word. It's like anyone who really helps you out or to, takes time mm-hmm. out of their day to give you advice and um, could be considered a mentor. Uh, but then uh, one program requirement is that by the end of the program, you do write an original pilot and uh, or an original sample and then you workshop it with your fellow program writers because i mean that's also the benefit Mm -hmm. of all these programs which is you and your fellow program writers or fellows or lab lab rats i don't know what you guys call people lab people are a writer's room you know you guys are all uh writers or aspiring writers and you have each other to bounce ideas off of and to, to hone your various scripts with Yeah, and the program, um, the Fox program uh, ends with, we will have rewritten this pilot. Uh, So the executives that placed us in the program read our original sample. Now when we're finished with, I'm in the middle of it right now, so my draft is due Thursday, guys. She's writing it right now. I'm writing right now. She's got a hard out in 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then after the program ends, uh, they will reread our new, our rewritten sample, kind of to see... I think probably like how we took notes. Did we reconceive our, our program? We then do uh, pitch sessions with uh, a bunch of Fox executives. Based off of that, they will choose the Fox fellow. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of something that we didn't think about at the beginning of the program. And now that it's getting to the end, it's sort of a reality. They choose one person who's the Fox fellow and that person gets a blind script deal um, with Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year's um, fellow uh, is Keely McDonald and she uh, came and talked to us they basically um, gave her a blind script deal and then had her come and develop a new show with them. So there's that aspect of it. But most of us are sort of more concerned about um, staffing than about, you know, winning the fellowship, mm-hmm. quote unquote. So that's part of it that we have. I just wanted to mention that uh, Warner Brothers does get a writing mentor as well. So executive oh. and writing mentor. And it's either it's like somebody who was in the workshop before who is not currently staffed and you get paired up with them. And that's super helpful because they have been through the program. They can come when you're like, you know, very intensely nervous and stressed mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. They can tell you like, Oh, you'll, you'll get through it. And you know how to approach it when it comes to time to staff. What are your thoughts on writing a spec versus a pilot within the program? Because as we discussed, specs are mostly for the fellowships. And since you're already in the program, do you feel that's still a useful uh, skill to hone within the program? 
I found it useful because they had the comedy writers, there was three of us, all write A Big Bang Theory, which I had never written a multicam before. So it was good in that experience. I think, you know, I'm still proud of that spec. I think that I just recently wrote a multicam, but up until that point, that was my multicam sample. So it was a good experience to learn how to write in that voice. And Warner Brothers writes a lot of multicams, so that would be useful for those, you know, Mm -hmm. those shows for staffing. But yeah, that's like a 13th season show, so it's like, you know, not as useful as like a pilot, but it's still a good experience, and you get to recreate kind of a multicam writer's room within that program. So what do you feel you've learned from the program that you didn't know before? Writing is hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I I guess uh, the program teaches you a lot about a lot of like the ins and outs of the business and about, you know, because you can read a lot. You can listen to podcasts like this one and and other ones and hear a lot about what uh, it's like to be in a room or what it's like in the industry, what they're looking for, um, how to pitch, etc. But until you do it and until you go through one of these things, you know, I, I just think it adds. It only, you know, you learn a lot. You get a lot of firsthand experience, too. Uh, like these guys have said, having, uh, the, you know, your fellow program writers or fellows or, or lab rats. Sorry, I keep using that term. I'm going to make it stick. Um, is how you get experience in, in, like, what the actual writer's room will look like. You know, so it kind of reflects a mini writer's room. I think two things for me is that I learned more about my own writing for sure. Cause we have two teachers who give uh, incredible notes, uh, like amazing notes that sort of made you reconceive your whole concept and, and really think about stuff. So just improving my writing, uh, one, and then like you said, the, the, a lot of access to executives who are telling you, you know, straight from the horse's mouth, how they pick people, how they pick projects, uh, what they put on the air, how they make their decisions is just really, really like mind blowing. It's really fun to learn that because you, again, you can listen to all these podcasts are amazing and give us all the sort of basics, but to hear these executives talking about how they pick projects is, is kind of, it is great. It's great. You can't simulate what the feeling is getting your script torn apart by (laughs) (laughs) and you have to feel like oh i have to start from scratch it's it's brutal but it's a good learning experience and it's something that everybody has to deal with when they're in a writer's room or if they're developing so just interacting with executives and writers and professional people who work in television that's invaluable Mm -hmm. and that's like the biggest thing you'll come out come out of these programs with do you feel there are any common misconceptions about fellowships in general or your program specifically I think one misconception we kind of touched on this earlier is that they're uh, diversity programs in, in so far as, you know, like an affirmative action type uh, measure. And that's really not the case. I think the goal of these programs is almost always to introduce new voices and often people on the cusp of breaking into the industry who have put in their time, you know, who are great on paper, but maybe just haven't had the, the um, opportunities to get in. Um, or don't have the personal connections that other people do. I mean, NBC's program is called Writers on the Verge. So, you know, I think that's the the tone with a lot of these. They're saying these are writers who are on the verge of getting in or breaking out, and we just need to give them an opportunity. I think the big misconception is that whole thing of like, oh, it's affirmative action and the the, the people in the program are only chosen because they're diverse mm-hmm. uh, ethnically. And I don't know, at least from my experience, every single person in, in the lab with me is an incredible writer, like really great writers. Mm-hmm. So like, I think there's a there's a certain mm-hmm. level of just ability that you have to have to mm-hmm. get into these programs, regardless of mm-hmm. what color creed 
gender you are. Um, and then the sort of misconception also that if you're staffed as a quote unquote diversity writer, that that's somehow dirty or it's not as, you know, earned or something like that. And it's kind of like if you are sort of a white guy who was not picked to be on staff of a show, it's not because the diversity writer took your place. Mm -hmm. Like it's because a bunch of other high level writers took your place. So I think those are the two kind of misconceptions. I mean, going off that, like there's a misconception that getting into a program is a guaranteed job. Yeah. And it is not a guaranteed Mm -hmm. staffing situation. I was not staffed immediately out of the program. It took me like, you know, five, six months to finally get on a staff. And it definitely helps. You have this award or this like, oh, I'm a workshopper. That's great. But it doesn't lead because it all depends on whether we shows are looking for workshoppers if they have room, if they have like, uh, you know, they need a staff writer. You never know what, what the, everybody's needs are. So it just depends and it might take some time. And it does lead to maybe getting a manager or an agent or something, but it's not a guarantee that you'll be placed somewhere. They're very specific about telling us that like night one is basically like, yeah, we know you all, you guys all want a staff. Mm-hmm. Like that's why you're here. But um, there, there is no guarantee. And it, it's just it's partly luck of the draw in the sense of is your voice appropriate for what your uh, network is doing this year? Mm-hmm. You know, so are, are there places for you or maybe you get staffed on something else? Maybe you get staffed outside of maybe I get staffed outside of Fox. Who knows? So, yeah, it's no guarantee. There, there are no guarantees in this business. I mean, it's an unfair business. It's a crazy business. It's another thing. If we step back and look at the entertainment industry compared to almost any other industry in the world, it is a crazy, weird business. And it can be hard. It can be unfair. It can be superficial. A lot of it comes down to luck. I mean, on the acting side, you could be the greatest actor in the world, but if you don't fit a specific look or a tone or no one's written roles for you, then you're not going to break out. You're not going to make it, you know? So it's, it's a crazy, weird, unfair business. So there truly are no guarantees. And, you know, just something to remind uh, listeners who are new uh, to the industry. If there's an opening on the show, that doesn't mean it's like, all right, the best writer gets in. Sometimes they're actually almost always, they're looking to fit a specific type of writer or a type of someone who can contribute something to that show. You know, if it's a medical drama, Um, They might be looking for someone with background in medicine, or they might be looking for someone who can write to a certain character on their show. You know, this is a character with this kind of background, so we want someone with a similar experience to write that character. Or if it's, you know, a military show, we need to true up the language regarding uh, gun, uh, you know, or tactics or whatever. We don't want, like, army guys to criticize us on online that saying that, like, we're complete nonsense because we're not getting the, the vocab right. So... They're often looking to fill specific roles. And sometimes that's because the people who are on there in seasons, you know, one through five have left or because it's a new show and they're trying to staff a well-rounded writer's room. But these are all things that you as a writer applying to these jobs don't know and have no way of knowing. Later on when you get repped, maybe your reps will say, oh, they're looking for Mm -hmm. this person or like because of your experience doing this, this is what sells you. I mean, it always helps to have a lot of different experiences and be able to write different kind of stuff, but whoever you are, you know, whatever kind of writer you are, like be true to yourself and know what you can contribute to a room. And sometimes if you manage to luck into getting staffed on a show and you're, you're worried you don't have some specific, you know, niche, some superpower that, that says like, oh, this is how I contribute. Work on that, you know, mm-hmm. study it. If you weren't in the military and you're on a military show, like maybe like research, learn, watch other military movies and shows, but learn that language and then hit up anyone you know who served in the military and find out 
you know, answers to questions that are asked in the room. We have two military guys in my program and I'm so jealous because, mm-hmm. you know, they yeah. have that expertise sure. where any, any show having to do with mm-hmm. military, like they're perfect for it. How many SEAL team shows came out last totally. year, you know? Um, but then there's also just the thing of staffing of personality mm-hmm. in the sense of not good personality versus bad personality, mm-hmm. but just meshing with that showrunner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are probably rooms I should not be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. that's fine. But hopefully you're hopefully you're staffed on a show where showrunner likes you. You guys get along. You mesh with the other mm-hmm. writers in the room. So that's just one of the factors that you have zero control over, yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you'll you know, it's, it's like uh, the college that you applied for or something. It's like you you'll be the right fit somewhere. So, you know, you do just have to relax going into these because obviously your nerves are telling you, I got to get staffed. I got to get a job. But, you know, you'll get on the right show eventually or you'll get staffed on something that's a good fit for you eventually. Um, you just got to be yourself. And what was the like biggest surprise or challenge for you in the fellowship? Was there anything that you didn't expect? I wasn't used to those deadlines. I mean, when you're like outside of a program, if you're just writing after work, you can take as long as you want for a spec or a pilot. And uh, there are definite deadlines. Like, you need to finish this outline, you need to finish the script within, you know, weeks, you know, within the month, whatever it is. So that's very (laughs) challenging. But I realized, oh, I can do it. It's just focusing and just, like, grinding it out. But, yeah, it's it's really difficult in the moment, and you're very stressed. I didn't really comprehend how many people I was going to be meeting, mm-hmm. how many executives, like how many hands are shaken mm-hmm. and, and, and how many times you sort of have to pitch yourself, which is like a really great skill to learn. I'm, I'm learning that now is like, you know, what is your your sort of 60 second introduction of yourself when you meet an executive and they say, so tell me about you. What's going on? Tell me about your life. What, what, what do you do that? I wasn't expecting, but that is actually part of, I think, the greatest part of the practice of the program. Can I give Jenny's answer as my answer? Because <laughs> I, I sincerely think it is so big and so important. I had no idea either. I was like, well, all, that's, all that matters is what's on the page, right? Like if you're a novelist, people only read the novel. That's what they care about. But in a writer's room, you know, it's, it, you're interacting with people. So who you are matters and what, you, what stories you can tell matter. So I never thought about, or I guess I didn't put too much thinking into selling myself as a commodity. I was like, what? Here are my scripts. Just take the scripts. Read the scripts. But... You really are selling yourself, you know, and you have to learn how to talk about yourself. It's hard. I mean, talking about yourself, uh, unless you're a completely self-absorbed narcissist, should be a challenging thing because you know you very well and you might not think you're interesting, even if you have lived a very interesting life. But getting practice doing it and doing it with confidence and and calm and and doing it in a way that I guess showcases your um, assets and and uh, what you have to offer is very important in this industry, you know, because it is, like I said, a crazy industry and an industry that tends to commodify everyone and everything. Importantly, you have to kind of know what your spot is, Mm -hmm. where you fit in all this madness, because people want to know that like right up front. Mm -hmm. They want to know, oh, she's she's a genre writer. She likes Mm -hmm. the dark stuff, you know, like and you have to be okay with not pigeonholing because it's not the right, right word, but just knowing yourself well enough to be mm-hmm. able to pitch that and stand behind it and, and know yeah. that it comes from some sort of truth that you'll be able to bring mm-hmm. forth as a writer mm-hmm. in the room. Yeah, because I think before the program and probably before a, a lot of the jobs I worked on, I, I would have thought, I'm a, I'm a jack of all trades. I can do it all. You know, throw anything at me, boss, and I'll figure out a way to do it. But in this industry, really, they want you to, to specify and, and know what your quote unquote superpower is, right? So I think, 
yeah, it can pigeonhole you and, and, or it can be a good thing. It can be like, oh, this guy's great at story or this guy's great at jokes and knowing what your, your superpower is and what you can offer a room is very beneficial. Um, especially if you only have a, a minute or two to sell yourself, uh, in an interview or in a, in an elevator. Yeah. It's good to get that point of view from the executive mm-hmm. point of view. Like how mm-hmm. are they approaching people? How are they approaching a script? And it's not like, oh, this is amazing. I would watch the show. It's like, oh, where can I place this person? Who is this person? What is their mm-hmm. quote unquote brand? Like, what is the, what is the thing that they write? Mm-hmm. And that's because everybody is selling it to somebody else. So if they like you, they're going to pitch it to the showrunner or pitch it to another executive mm-hmm. who covers that show or whatever. And it's, you don't think of these things. Mm-hmm. You think, oh, this is hilarious. And this is from my yeah. personal life. And you have to think of it in terms of like, oh, this fits this show or this, mm-hmm. this, this is what they would like. Yeah. I am terrified to find to to imagine how other people are selling me, yeah. <laughs> how they're talking about me. You know, <laughs> what would they even say? Like, I don't know, but I kind of don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah. I think I know how they pitch me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know how they pitch me. Is it me. good? Are you cool with it? It's like, okay, we have this girl. She's super effed up. She loves the dark stuff. Like uh-huh. any like blood, violent, like just you know, yeah, anything great. bloody and violent. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. your girl. I think that's how they pitch me. That's great. What are these final steps once that fellowship wraps up? Do they try to place you in a res room? Do they pair you up with someone? Or is it just a slap on the back and on your way? They try to have you have your pilot in as good shape as possible. And if staffing opportunities come up, like if this show is looking for, you know, specific, they're looking for a female writer to, you know, for this comedy show, then one of the workshoppers who is like a female comedy writer will be probably put up for staffing for that or like they'll take a meeting but it's like ongoing throughout staffing season or even maybe even before like it depends because some some shows are like off cycle but it's just waiting basically you're just waiting for that call to be like oh you have a meeting in the afternoon in santa monica please be ready and it's like nerve-wracking because like at all staffing seasons everybody's staffing up you don't know who's getting a job who's not getting a job so you're just like waiting and wondering but they try to be communicative and sometimes it just doesn't work out. Like for me, it didn't work out where I didn't get placed on a show. So then it's like, okay, what can we do for you? Then let's try to get you a manager and, and see what you can do to get staff beyond the program. The goal, I think, of all these programs is staffing, but there's no guarantee. Um, but I think we're going to end our last day. Our pitch day is in three weeks now. And I think after that, our upfronts and then the, the network staffing season kind of starts. And hopefully, again, like, like he said, our pilot is in a good enough shape to go back and have some executives read it, think about their staffing needs, and hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, then get some staffing meetings with showrunners if, if we sort of fit their needs. But it's also ongoing in the sense of they can use that incentive of staffing somebody from the program anytime. So program lab members from last year could get staffed on shows this year. I don't know I don't know if people know about the and I think it's the same with all the programs the the incentive of staffing one of us is that basically the uh, the network pays for it rather than the budget of the show. So they're heavily heavily incentivized to take us under their wing because they they at least through the lens of their show's budget they get us for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still get paid, but they they get us for free. Yeah, you're getting paid, but from a different source. And, yeah. and right, like I think that's still the case with the ABC program, which is you're salaried already. And then if you, whether you get staffed or not, you're still going to draw that salary, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. It's like, I'm working or I'm not working, but I'm getting paid. 
but their goal is to get you staffed for the experience and and the incent. I mean, everyone wins in these yeah. cases. Like you, the writer, win because you get a jump start of your career. And the program wins because if you get staffed or you succeed in anything else, you sell a pilot, whatever you do, if, if your career takes off in any direction, it still looks good for the program because it, it legitimizes them. You know, it, it, uh, it adds credibility to the program. And then on the shows, they get a, a, a new writer, oftentimes freed or paid for by the programs. And, you know, it helps add new voices to um, the room. And especially voices that uh, of very qualified writers who couldn't get in through personal connections or the traditional uh, Hollywood system or whatever. And it's, it's that thing is super valuable because we had someone come and talk to us about the sort of the money ball scenario of staffing a writer's room, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the showrunner gets the green light. They're all excited. The first thing they want to hire are their number two, their number three, their uh, co-EPs, the really high up experienced writers that are going to cost them a lot of money. Yeah. So they have their writer's budget, which is $100, and they're going to spend 75 of that on, you know, three or four of their top writers. By the time you get down to the lowly staff writer mm -hmm. position, they might be out of money. <laughs> they're so. feeding you in circus peanuts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you're happy to take it. You're in the room. Yeah, you're in the room. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder now if there could possibly be a show that's like, Ryan Murphy and Shonda Rhimes. That's the entire budget. <laughs> the two of them in a room, that's the entire room. They don't even have any. They leftover. wouldn't get along. They wouldn't get Probably along. not, but they don't have any leftover budget even for like a writer's assistant. Yeah. I would watch that show too. I would watch the show, no, yeah. the, the men's show. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Watch, watch the, the show with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so does your fellowship have an alumni network or support network? And has this proved useful to you? Is there a fellowships anonymous meeting that you go to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it becomes like an underground cabal in this town. It's like we're like the Freemasons. Um, no, I, I, there is if you're uh, if you're an active participant in it. I think it's your involvement. Uh, you, you know, so we've often tried like in the ABC Disney program, we've tried to get together and, and do stuff. We actually have a meetup coming up soon, but that depends on your own initiative. You know, it's I, honestly what you put into this uh, business and what you put into your career is what you get out of it. So the more you go out, the more you do mixers, the more you engage with other people, the more you'll get out of it. So. It really depends on you. And same thing with like writer's room. Like if you're in a writer's group um, on your own, you should. You should actually be in a couple if you can because then you get more voices listening to you. Ours has, uh, I think I think it's the same thing. There's nothing official. There's not sort of an alumni network, but um, unofficially alumni reached out to us. We had a night where they came and spoke. And then we had a mixer last week for all this year's uh, fellowships. Mm -hmm. And that immediately spawned a Facebook group of the 2018, you know, fellowships. Mm -hmm. And it, it it is up to you. It is up to your own initiative to reach out and be like, hey, you know, you write the kind of stuff I write. Let's get coffee. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about your fears and whatever. And just getting to know people. It is kind of up to you. There's nothing like pre-programmed right. about it. For the Warner Brothers program, uh, the first day of the program, they have last year's workshoppers come in and speak. Uh, and usually they're like on staff. And so it's very interesting to see like their experiences and, you know, their traumas or their, you know, whatever they're going through on their first staff job. Every January, they also have like a general workshoppers, mm -hmm. like reunion from all years. So that's fun to see everybody because all these people, they know what it's like to go through the program and mm -hmm. now they're five, 10 years into their career. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's always good to meet them and get to know them. And even outside of the program, we formed a writer's group and, you know, we hang out and, mm -hmm. you know, we 
do all sorts of things uh, that just because in the program it bonds you and mm-hmm. you realize, oh, these people are awesome and mm-hmm. I'd rather, you know, I want to hang out with them still. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, some of the ABC uh, program writers and I, we do like a game night, you know, we just play board games. So we're not even talking shop or uh, reading each other's scripts, but we're, uh, you know, just hanging out because we're friends. No, I was going to say, I, when, when you started talking, you're like, on the first day there, I thought you were going to I mean, this is where my brain went. I was like, the first day there, they give you your tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> and we got our Warner Bros. Yeah. for life. <laughs> number four, life. And the, and the logo. Yeah. And, and then, then the company yeah. logo. Yeah. Branded, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then whenever you want to get on the lot, you just roll up your sleeve and yes. show your tat. Yeah. No, at like, Fox, they just put a little Homer Simpson. <laughs> right, 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 right away, yeah. 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 We'll put the photos of the tattoos in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have an agent or a manager before the programs? Or if not, were you approached by one during the program? I did not have an agent or manager before the program. And when you're in it, you will get managers or agents approaching you or like reaching out and say, hey, my client said that you're in the program. Well, you want to meet up? But I think the general like subtext is wait until after the program to get reps because mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, another voice in your head. So maybe, you know, they're telling you things that are different from what the program is, mm-hmm. you know, wanting you to learn or wanting you to go for. So uh, it wasn't until after the program that I actually like signed with somebody and, you know, had that representation. I had an agent and a manager when I went into the program. And I think that most of my cohorts, most of the lab rats. It's sticking. It's sticking. Yeah. <laughs> but no, the other lab rats, I'd say 50-50 of like who already has representation and who is looking for it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a mixed bag with my year too. I did not have uh, any representation going in, but within a year of coming out of the program, I have both an agent and a manager. So on a similar note, did you find you were taking a lot more meetings or getting more interest or kind of heat generated by being selected for the fellowship after you were out of it? For me, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't generating any heat before, you know, like I was just a guy writing in his apartment and going, doing, you know, sharing scripts with friends and, and doing my own little writer's groups. But I ultimately had no heat on me. And thanks to the program, got a lot of heat. But it also, it comes and goes, you know, you got to strike while the iron is hot because heat in this town is very quick you know i I, th- I think more so for actors maybe you know that it's like oh this is the new hot actor or actress who's on this show and this is or, or who managed to break out and you know they're having a year right and then um with writers to a lesser degree it's it's like that too you know if, especially if you sell a script or you get on one of these lists you know the black lists like a uh, hot list of the year or whatever always strike while the iron is hot, whatever that means, you know, whatever you're aiming for. If you're trying to get reps out of it, or if you're trying to get development deal out of it, or trying to sell a script, or just get staffed, strike while the iron is hot. Two years ago, I I won the 2016 Launchpad Pilot Competition. That got me a bunch of meetings. Mm -hmm. So that was like, nice. But again, I didn't get a job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so hopefully this is the tipping point of of getting the actual gig. We've all kind of gotten some meetings out of this. Right now, though, it's sort of like because we're still in the program, it's almost this little incubator where it's Mm -hmm. just we're keeping it within the Fox family at the moment, Mm -hmm. hopefully. But um, no, I want more meetings. I want all the meetings. All (laughs) the meetings. Yeah, you get more meetings uh, coming out of the workshop. I think uh, you do have kind of this, uh, oh, this person is a good writer, that, that they've been vetted mm-hmm. by this program. Mm-hmm. So, and also, since you are incentivized by the studio that they're going to pay for your salary, people know that, oh, he's probably going to get staff soon, eventually, maybe get in uh, you know, early on that. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, see that where they have potential to be like a showrunner eventually. So I think that does get in people's brain and they want to know you, want to meet you and maybe even sign you. And moving forward, what are you focusing on with your material? Is it mostly staffing samples or pilots to sell? For me, I, I think staffing samples, but I wouldn't mind, obviously, if someone wants to buy one of my pilots. You know, I just, I think, again, I, I always have found that uh, following my inspiration is the best move in any uh, circumstance. So I just write whatever uh, idea is burning a hole in my brain. And usually I'll find a, a format for it or I'll find a place for it or manage to sell people on it. And once you are repped, you know, it's this is very different from reality TV, which we all came from where normally you're get you're finding your own jobs you're hustling once you're repped it's your rep's job to do that and to and to help with that i mean you can you certainly do a lot of legwork as well but um you have other people you have a team that's helping you get jobs so it's more important for the writers to write and it is crazy i found since i moved to this town and since i've like networked and met people so many people in this town call themselves writers but they don't write you know they're like well i would do that and you know you're like well what have you written they're like show me you want to send some of your scripts my way be happy to read it and they're like oh well i haven't finished anything yet but here's an idea and you're like well you're not a writer then i mean if you want to be a writer you gotta write it seems like such a dumb no-brainer but so many people in this town just uh, and probably in this world have an entitlement about them that is like, well, I think I'm really creative and so I should get all the things, <laughs> you know? And you're like, where's your hustle? Where's the work? I guess that that almost goes back to like rewind to advice mm -hmm. for people who, who are trying to break in. Mm -hmm. You got to write, man. Mm -hmm. You got to write some stuff that's terrible too. Mm -hmm. Like I've written a couple yeah. scripts that were real bad sure. and you just have to push past that it's mm -hmm. better i think it's better to write bad material mm -hmm. than no material at all uh, because the bad can always lead to the good you know Absolutely. you can learn things from that you can mm -hmm. develop from it nobody's gonna buy my pilot about the succubus priestesses <laughs> But it was a fun write, and I learned stuff. So I'm thinking of ways to steal that idea <laughs> yeah. right now. I think uh, I'm going to, yeah, you should revisit the second yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, if you write a lot, which, you know, I'm also trying to write staffing samples. And if somebody wants to buy and develop something, sure. But right now it's just how do I get the next job? Mm -hmm. But you can always like revisit an idea or a bad mm -hmm. script and try to make it better or make it a one hour instead of a half hour. Like mm -hmm. as long as it's in paper, as long as it's FDX file, then right. you can always <laughs> just uh, have it around. And it's just having more things that you could possibly send to people. You yeah. never know. You never know what's going to be the one that gets you the job or mm -hmm. the one that people like to get you hot in the industry. Yeah. I think the script that's going to get Jenny her next job will be her rewrite of Suck You By, mm -hmm. which is... Uh -huh. Uh, a rewrite of this script where the succubuses or succubi only incept the minds of women who are straight trying to turn them bisexual. That's so amazing. It's called succubi. Do you want to, we should write that together. Yeah, we should write that oh together. That would be amazing. No one steal that. that. Trademark, trademark. Yeah, trademark. <laughs> History made on the air right now. <laughs> uh, what are your ultimate career goals and what would be the ideal show for you to staff on that's on air right now? I mean, I want to be a showrunner. I would, I would like to have my own show with whatever these five bad scripts that I have, whoever wants to make that, that'd be great. But right now, my favorite show is The Good Place. I would love to write for Mike Shore. I think that show is doing incredible things. So that would be my ideal show. This time I want to steal Thomas's answer because that's also my number one. I mean, that show's really incredible. Yeah. And there are a lot of other great shows out there. Uh, you know, I think Atlanta is incredible. Um, I would love to write for Fresh Off the Boat. 
but yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of great content out there. There's just so much of it. My career goal is to write said sucky by script um, mm -hmm. and get that salt. No, um, uh, I would love to staff on something like Mr. Robot, Westworld, these sort of big concept, crazy dark dramas. Uh, and I also kind of like lighter supernatural dramas like Lucifer on Fox. I really like that show a lot. It's fun. It's mm -hmm. so fun. And someday showrunner. But but to be honest, I'm not. I just am not in the place where I'm concerned about that because mm. I just for I need to first be a journeyman writer mm. and then someday in the ephemeral future, maybe that. But yeah. right now I'm just concerned with if I can go to a place every day and be paid to write on a show, that's my life goal. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm in the same place where I'm like, I've got a lot more learning to do. You can't like just jump, go zero to 60. You know, I, I mean, some people do, but it's it's very rare. And I think there are a lot of talent is required and almost supernatural levels of talent to, to just go from nothing to suddenly being a showrunner. But for me, I think that I have a lot more to learn before I'm even at the, the place to be an upper level writer, let alone a showrunner. And they'll also like pair you with a high level showrunner mm -hmm. and they could step all over you or they could like take over. Yeah. So until yeah. you have the expertise and the, you know, credits that'll be like authoritative and be mm -hmm. like, hey, we're on equal playing field. You can't push me around. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a bad experience. So yeah, mm -hmm. to get to that place where you do have a show to run, uh, I think it takes a while and it takes some mm -hmm. you know staffing experiences. Yeah, like success can be a curse, you know, especially if you go you you shoot up too high too fast, yes. you know, and you're like, oh, he got to be a showrunner in his own thing, and it flopped tremendously because mm -hmm. yeah. he had no experience, didn't know what he was doing, and you know, just it was a huge embarrassment. And then you're like, crap, where do I go from here? You know, so I think it only helps you to, to be a journeyman, to build your, your own reputation. And I think it's, it's just healthy to have that humility that to know that you're not ready to do that. That's a huge job. What you're ready to do is contribute in a writer's room. I think you were talking about the sort of entitlement. I've, I've heard people answer the question, uh, what kind of shows do you want to write for? And their answer is like, my own mm -hmm. and i'm like well you know that's a mm -hmm. that's a sort of far off concept like yeah. you know first start with the basics would be mm -hmm. nice do a web series if you want to be your own boss like do do something small that only needs like a writer's room of you or of a couple people there are ways to do that and if you if you thrive on the creative control of it there's nothing to stop you from doing that now but if you want to you know make network television or other big budget tv you've got to be willing to do the work <laughs> All right, before we go, we got some uh, last questions for you. Number one, what are you watching on TV right now? Altered Carbon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Shout out. Yeah, a lot of stuff, actually. I, I was just watching Hard Sun, which is from Neil Cry. For a comedy writer, I watch a lot of like dark dramas, too. <laughs> so like, I loved Luther and uh, Neil Cross's new show, um, Hard Sun. It's fantastic. Uh, I just finished it. I am watching Altered Carbon. I'm about halfway through the first season. And let me see what else. The Good Place, obviously. And I'm still on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Love that show and that cast. What else? Oh, I watched a completely zany show that I think a lot of viewers might like. It's called The Future Man on Hulu. Oh, yeah. It's like mm. crazy sci-fi. So it is, you know, if you're looking for like okay. sci-fi comedies, it's very funny. But like and silly. Very silly. Yeah. Yeah, very so silly. And I, speaking of silly, I also love Angie Tribeca. You know, so, so a lot of those shows. The James Cameron house episode. If oh, it's so funny. The, the house that becomes sentient, or that is sentient and like talking to. I love Westworld. I'm waiting for that to come back. Mr. Robot. I love 
uh, the queen, or no, I'm sorry, not the queen, the crown. Mm-hmm. My guilty pleasure is Victoria on BBC. <laughs> it's total corset drama. It's popcorn. It's it's amazing. But anything sort of dark genre um, and disturbing, I'm into. So American Horror Story. Was a diehard Walking Dead fan, but I've sort of drifted away from that one. But pretty much any pitch mm-hmm. about something crazy, genre, sci-fi, dark, a lot of people dead, a lot of <laughs> dying, I'll be, I'll be into. Like Andy, I also watch a lot of dark drama, too, because it's like a break from <laughs> yeah, watching yeah. comedy. When you watch comedy, it's almost like, oh, I see how they got to that joke, or like, oh, that's an interesting turn. Mm-hmm. So this is like just, oh, I can turn off my brain and watch Mr. Mm-hmm. Robot, which, you know, it's like I can fantasize about being a hacker or something. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like, um, I, I watch Unreal. I, I've stuck mm-hmm. with Unreal because it, you know, reminds me of reality days and yeah. that whole grind. I love The Good Place. I love Atlanta. I love, I just... Discovered it, even though it's been on forever as um, Mozart in the Jungle. I just started oh, yeah. watching that. Which, it just got canceled, too. Uh, yeah. So I have uh, four seasons to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think uh, there's so much TV, and there's mm-hmm. not enough time in the day, and I also have mm-hmm. to write. So and, and for our listeners who can't see us, uh, Thomas is dressed like Mr. Robot right now. <laughs> <laughs> wearing his dark hoodie. I cosplay as yeah, Mr. Yeah, Robot yeah, often. Yeah. I, I also forgot to mention, uh, I, you know, the Carmichael show is incredible. And um, I watched every episode of it. And it's also over, but it's traditional two act multicam storytelling. It's really, really good for uh, aspiring writers who want to break into uh, writing. It's good to study the different kinds of, of act structure and the different kind of genres. I know that these days um, with streaming platforms and every kind of uh, storytelling being available, it's hard to peg yourself as one type of writer or anything, but sometimes it does help to study also the old way of doing things and the new way of doing things. And heck, now that like all these um, classic sitcoms we grew up with are coming back from Full House to Roseanne, it, there's nothing wrong with studying like traditional multicam storytelling. In fact, it's probably the best idea ever to start watching Cheers if you never watched it. That's so good. Yeah. It's, it's also like, I, I always have a hard time answering what are you watching now because it changes mm-hmm. so, so much. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important if you want to write for TV to watch a lot of TV mm-hmm. and really be like a, a student of, of the, the craft and and really enjoy, like genuinely enjoy a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I, I got, my taste drifts from Victoria to American Horror Story. So it's, I, I just, I love television. So I'll pretty much watch anything. Yeah. And it's like with Netflix and everything, you binge a show and it's it means the world to you. And then you're oh, you're done with it for another year, and you're like, oh, I forgot all about it. You know, <laughs> like I was really into Stranger Things, and then who's been mm-hmm. who's talking about it right now? No one, you know. But uh, when season three comes out, I'll be diehard fan again. And and actually, I did want to recommend one thing to you. It's just, uh, you might love uh, this German show called Dark. I started. Have watching you started? It. It? It's really good. It's strange. It's German Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's strange German things. German, so it's automatically messed up, like yeah. in a certain way, and then it's got all the genre stuff. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Any last advice for either fellowship applicants or aspiring writers? Uh, know who you are. I mean, like, follow, yeah, follow your inspiration. Like, write the kind of stuff you would love to watch. But also know how to sell yourself and and to to say, this is who I am. This is what I watch, what I like, and this is what I can write, or this is what I like to write, even if you're not. And and if you're not good at it yet, practice, practice till you're really good at it. And and like Jenny was saying, like, write terrible scripts first. Don't be ashamed of it. It only makes you a better writer. You know, writing is a skill like any other. You got to do your reps. You know, you got to hone, hone the or, you know, sharpen your, your knives and uh, you're not going to be a better writer if you don't write. So if you're like, if you're hoping that you're going to write one amazing script that's going to open all the doors for you, 
you're wrong. You're dead wrong. Like that's not how this industry works. And that's not how people see you or, or how you're commodified in this town. They want the writer. You know, a great idea in a, a terrible writer's hands is a terrible idea. I mean, Breaking Bad is great because of Vince Gilligan, <laughs> you know, like anyone, like imagine if like a terrible writer was trying to write that uh, a script about, you know, a, a high school chemistry teacher who has followed the rules all his life and suddenly he's got he's diagnosed with cancer and he needs to sell crystal meth in order to, to make it. That could be terrible. Like it sounds crazy coming out of my mouth because it is, but with Vince Gilligan at the uh, helm, it's incredible. I think some of the scripts that get us noticed happen to be the ones, I would imagine this is probably true for you guys too, happen to be the ones where you go, you know what I really wanna write? And then you do it because we have the luxury when you're not thinking about budget, you're not thinking about what network it goes on, you're not thinking, all those business concerns, when you're writing a spec pilot, you don't really have to think about that. You have the luxury of that openness. Like just write the thing that that, that you're passionate about and you wanna write. Yeah, the pure joy of inspiration, yeah. like the great ideas just flow out of you. And I think I've written some of my best scripts or zaniest scripts, but ones that got a lot of attention in a weekend. You know, it's just like, I had this idea and I was like, oh man, I was going to do stuff with my friend. I had brunch <laughs> plans, but I'm like, no, I got to sit down and write this. And before I know it, it's 5 a.m. Uh, Monday morning. And I'm like, well, I finished this thing and I don't know if it's any good or not, but man, that was fun. Yeah. Going off of that, I think it's important to have fun. I think it's important to have that perspective and not get into the bitter kind of mode of like, why haven't I been staffed yet? Why haven't I gone yeah. to the fellowship yet? It's important that this is a process. If you were not, you know, trying to be a writer, that you'd be okay just writing specs and pilots on your own or whatever it is that mm -hmm. it brings you joy to mm -hmm. do this weird thing that we all do and not have this, you know, perpetual FOMO because you're mm -hmm. going to have that no matter what, but yeah. to have perspective on it and also have a well-rounded life of like having other writer friends to commiserate with, to celebrate with, it's important. You need the community and to have that kind of perspective. And lastly, do you have any resources, be it apps, books, websites, software? I don't know, uh, for our <laughs> listeners about TV. Uh, the Paper Team yeah, the podcast. Paper podcast. podcast. I like that podcast. Really, really yeah, I'm a fan. Um, I also th I also think it's really important for writers to read. And, yes. and it, so as much as we all love television and we all should be watching a bomb ton of television, I just read stuff, read fiction, read nonfiction, read everything, um, because you need a well to draw from mm -hmm. creatively. So hopefully a lot of that is your life, your actual like what you do that's not writing, but then also just just different voices in your mm -hmm. head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the first year that I read all the pilots that, mm -hmm. uh, and they're out there. there. There's like, you know, I'm sure there's a zip drive somewhere and you can find it on the internet somewhere that has all the network pilots. And it was fascinating because Pilots have similar moves. They have similar like tone. You have to introduce things similarly. And I, you know, ha that was just like the most reading I have done script wise, I think ever. And it's very instructive and it helps you and it gets you both uh, what is the business into right now and also helps you with whatever pilot that you're writing currently. Mm -hmm. So I think reading whatever is being bought and sold currently is, is, is really good. Yeah, sure. get, get out of your head a little bit, right? Do other stuff too. I mean, it all shapes who you are. And again, that's your commodity is who you are and what you have to offer. So if you have some crazy, weird hobby, do it. And, and talking about it will open doors too. You never know what it's going to be that people are going to respond to. They'll be like, wait, you're a, a, a championship a high lie player? How did that happen? You know, or whatever, you know, like it, I'm writing a show about that. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you never know what people are going to uh, uh, respond to. 
All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. So thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. As always, you can get the show notes at paperteam.co slash 85. If you'd like to leave us a review, that would be awesome. And you can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And all of those reviews are going to help more listeners find the show and uh, have more awesome good times like this. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. I'm uh, at Thomas J. Reyes. I'm at, at J. Diker, D-E-I-K-E-R. And I'm at nowhere because I quit Twitter. Oh. <laughs> yeah. All right. If you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And next week, we will be talking about the branding yourself topic and not the creepy fellowship cult kind of branding. Uh, <laughs> this is more uh, how do you sell yourself? Uh, who are you really? I mean, things we've been talking about this entire episode. We'll see you guys then. See ya.